Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'm going to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 this morning as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. Kind of, kind of hold your, your thumb there. I wanted to say a happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are out there today. Uh, we want to thank you for the sleepless nights we want to thank you for all of the prayers that you pour over us. Uh, we want to thank you for your loving wisdom that you give. We want to thank you for the example that you set for the home. Uh, we want to thank you for that and everything else. And so we applaud you this morning, moms. And if you're a mom, if you would just please stand so that we can see you and honor you today. Don't be shy. We're thankful for you. It is, a, it is a noble and honorable calling and one that is precious and given to you by the Lord himself. And so thank you again. We hope that, we hope that you know that you are loved and you are supported and appreciated. Speaking of love, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, it got me thinking, what is the best love song? And people started talking right there. All right, so I started, uh, I started thinking this week, what's the best love song? Uh, one, maybe Eric Clapton. He has a song called Wonderful Tonight. Any of y'all ever heard that song? Yeah, but then I was like, no, that can't be it because he wrote that for another man's wife. <laughs> so, sorry, you're out. And I'm a Clapton fan, but like, you know, there are lines that you draw. Uh, I wrote this one down. Anybody know who Percy Sledge is? You do, because he has a song called When a Man Loves a Woman. You ever heard that one? Yeah, kind of raspy and whatnot. And I was talking to, to my oldest daughter, Avery, and she saw some of the things that I was sketching out and she marked that song out. And next to it, she put Love Story by Taylor Swift. I was going a little bit more on the classical love song kind of side because I even wrote down, I only have eyes for you by the flamingos. Anybody? All right, good. And next to that, Avery wrote Amazed by Lone Star. For those of you that listen to country music, and I'll give her that one because that may be one of the best love songs in country music that's ever been done. Uh, we agreed on this one. John Legend, All of Me. Yeah? Okay, good. Uh, I wrote down At Last by Etta James. You know, kind of that classic crooner kind of thing she has going there. Uh, next to that, Avery actually wrote down Can't Take My Eyes Off of You by Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> now, I just thought, can you imagine having to call that boy out when you're his mother? Engelbert, come here. <laughs> But it is a great song. All right, here's another one. And probably all of you would be like, yeah, that one's got to be on the list. If for no other reason than who it is that did it, how about Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis Presley? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's probably got to be on the list. And then uh, last night for Mother's Day, I took Wendy to see uh, Khalid and Ed Sheeran down at NRG, and so I'm ending my list with Ed Sheeran, perfect, right? 
we actually, we actually got up and danced for that one last night. No, I know, I'm, I'm good. No, I'm kidding, I'm, stop, stop. <laughs> stop it. Okay, so we're asking this girl, what is the best love song? Now, thematic, you look in scripture, uh, and this theme of love, really, it does saturate the word of God. One of the things that we're supposed to be known for is how we love people. And in this series on the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we, we come to, to know is that it really does require a work of the Holy Spirit in the inner man, inside of us, to change our heart to love the way that God loves. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? It takes a work of God to change our heart to love people the way that God loves people which is truly, deeply, it's sacrificial. He pulls out kind of the worst parts of us and he puts the best parts of himself in us. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Tim Keller said this about love. He said, love is primarily giving. And he's right. It is an action that leads to a feeling. Have you ever thought about that? Love is primarily giving. It is an action that leads to a feeling. Many of you might actually think of it the other way around. I'll actually get around to something when I feel like it. You're probably going to wait a long time. <laughs> Instead, what happens is, is when we love people the way that God has loved us, it evokes the emotion that ties into the action that we're pouring into them. It's the other way around. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, just so you know, it's singular there. So when you are really tapped into the Holy Spirit in your life, these are the characteristics that just pour out of you. And one of those characteristics that just flows is you are a loving person. It uses a word there when it talks about fruit. Usually it means like fruit in the sense of the things that you eat, like a, a, like a fruit or a vegetable, but it can also be translated offspring or deed, or an action, or a result, or it can even be translated profit, as in P-R-O-F-I-T, like you got paid, right? It can even be translated, this is profitable to you. Now imagine that you're a farmer, that would really make sense back then, right? Because a lot of the people in the ancient Near East, the way that they made it was that they were farmers. You can imagine for them, fruit is a good thing. And the reason is, is because it is the result of hard work and is a result of very careful tending. And then you get the result. And in that order, it's care, it's work, and it's result. And so the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, for those of you that are believers in Jesus, says this is what will flow out of you. Love will flow out of you. Joy will flow out of you. Peace will flow out of you. Patience will flow out of you. Kindness will flow out of you. Goodness, gentleness, and self-control is what people will know you for. The more you are tapped into and reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, this is what people will know you for. It just flows. See, in the verses prior to the one that I just quoted, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul gives this contrast of the acts of the flesh. He says those are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, you got one list. That's what flows from your flesh. You got the other list, and this is what flows from the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. As, as a believer in Jesus, what I struggle with more is not so much what I believe about Jesus so much as it is whether or not I'm going to follow him. <laughs> is that fair? It's not so much whether I'm believing in him as whether or not I'm going to follow him. And I have this choice. I can kind of yield to my flesh, which is still real, or I can yield to the Holy Spirit. And the results that people will see out of me is going to be the practical differences in the quality of what they see in my life. Paul said you can see the difference there. And God is concerned with what we produce in keeping with him. Fruit, when you think about this analogy, fruit is about what you are producing. That's why we call it the produce section when you go to the Heb to shop, right? H-E-B for those of you that don't call it that. The Heb. There's the produce section. And the more that you experience God, the more power that you will have. It gets incremental in your life. The more that you experience him, the more power you will have, the more wisdom that you will have. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, you know, there are characteristics of fruit and some of those characteristics are good and some of those characteristics are bad. You know what I'm talking about. A bad apple can rot other apples around it. Am I right? Or am I right? Uh, the question is, is do you know why? I'm about to give you a science lesson, children. <laughs> the reason that a, an apple can rot another apple or other fruit is because of ethylene. It, apples actually release a gas while they're ripening. So for example, if you want to ripen an avocado, put it in a bag overnight with an apple. Isn't this helpful today? All of you chefs and whatnot. Overripe fruit puts off more ethylene and in the right conditions, it can rot the other fruit around it. So that's kind of a bad characteristic of fruit, right? You don't want too much ethylene in your life. That would mean like, well, if you are being compared to the apple here, you don't want to be rotting the other people around you. And in fact, you can do that. If you think of the characteristics of the flesh, it's not just that it impacts you, it impacts everybody else that is around you, true. It's what you bring. It's the presence that you bring. Did you also know that it's true with the Holy Spirit? For those people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is what they bring with them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's what they bring in the room when they show up and people see the difference. It's the produce section at the Hebe, right? You know it. There are other characteristics. Let me give you some good characteristics of fruit though. One of the things you gotta understand is when it comes to fruit, Number one, you can see it. <laughs> you can see it. There is no such thing as invisible fruit. It doesn't exist. I, I remember some years ago when I was at A&M, I was talking with one of my professors and uh, we had gone out to eat and he, he was a world-class guy, a literal world-class scholar that they had brought in to teach some doctoral seminars and I was in one of those. And I remember he and I went out to eat and I asked him this question. I said, would you describe yourself as a person that believes in God? And when you're teaching in a department of philosophy, that's a very fair question, right? Here's what he said. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He is in the department of philosophy, by the way. He said, well, let me ask you a question. 
would you describe me as someone who believes in God? That, that moment made me kind of pause for a little bit because I was like, I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. Because, and this is what he said, what, what good would it be for me to say, absolutely, I believe in God. And on the other hand, you would have absolutely no evidence that I believe in God. Just by looking at me. You would never know. He said, so I'm just gonna ask you that question. And then the conversation went on. You can see what I'm getting at. When it comes to fruit, you can see it. It's there. There's no such thing as invisible fruit. Here's the second thing. It shows the kind of tree of which it is a part. It shows the kind of tree of which it is a part. Pears come from? Apples come from? Okay. Now let's think about this spiritually for a second. You get where I'm going with this? If people are looking, what kind of tree would they think you are a part of? Would they think that you're a part of the Christian tree? Or would they think that you're not? Just by watching. Paul says, we need to be thinking about this. Because if God is in your life, then what should be visible to other people from you is God-like. Third thing about fruit, it doesn't exist for itself. It does not exist for itself. Uh, think about Colossians chapter one, verse 10. It says, the way, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. You see this? Paul connects bearing fruit with having the knowledge of God. Did you catch it? So knowledge, and the way that he uses this word knowledge, it's not like you're just sitting there and speculating about it. You go, oh, I think I know that. It's talking about knowledge where you have entered into an experience. Adam, for example, knew Eve, talking about sexually. He knew Eve and they produced new life. This is a fruit of knowing her very intimately. What Paul was saying in Colossians 1.10 is, is this is a fruit of knowing God very intimately and personally and in the thick of your experience. Then this is what will flow out of you. An experience of God, with God produces a change in your life and that change is then the benefit to other people. Like I said, when you walk into the room, you're bringing something with you. And so if what you're bringing into the room is a pile of vices, everybody else in the room gets to enjoy that experience of being around you. If what you're bringing into the room is a big laundry list of virtues, guess what? Same thing. It's not a matter of, are they getting something from you and the experience of you? The question is, is what are they getting from the experience of you? And what Paul is saying is, for those of you that walk in line and tap with God, they will experience God. They will experience God. Here's another way of getting it. If you say that you love Jesus and you're rotten, that just don't mix. <laughs> I'm just going back to my apples now, right? That just doesn't mix. Let, let me point out some obvious truths. Uh, no one has ever gotten drunk by looking at alcohol. No woman has ever gotten pregnant by talking about intimacy with her husband. Did you know that has never, ever happened? Not once. So discussion about the subject, knowing things about the subject, does not give you an experience of the subject. That requires intimacy. And intimacy requires you to be close to the one that you're trying to connect with. There is no other way.
There is no other way. All right, so I was, I was trying to get some thought to this. When I thought of my A&M professor example for you, I thought about the place that I loved to study the most when I was in College Station. It's a place called Sweet Eugene's House of Java. You ever been there? If you go to College Station, try it out. I studied a lot. That's actually Sweet Eugene's. Um, I studied, I don't know how many hours I studied in Sweet Eugene's, but I'm telling you friends, it was a lot. I was in there. So I'd go into Sweet Eugene's and I'd be in there for four or five hours sometimes. And when I walked out, do you know what I smelled like? I smelled like Sweet Eugene's. That's what it smelled like. I smelled like, I smelled like a coffee shop. I give you that example, basically to make a simple point. You hang out with God, you're gonna look like God. That I had saturated myself with the sweet Eugene's experience. And when I walked out, people knew I'd been in a coffee shop. You saturate yourself with the presence of God, it's going to be the same way. They'll know whose presence you've been in. So if you're not loving, think about it. It's because you're not hanging out in God's coffee shop. Make sense? Let's think about it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says that love is the highest virtue. It is the highest virtue. And when we use the word love, often what we mean is love about, what you love about a person. And there is nothing wrong with that. Uh, husbands, if you have a virtuous and godly wife, you should, be, you should definitely be talking about the things you love about her. Wives, if you have a godly husband, you should definitely be talking the things you love about that man. But in scripture, that is not the primary thing that it talks about. Instead, it's making this point. Love is a choice. It is not a feeling. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. What does it say? Pursue it. Pursue love. It's a choice. It is not a feeling. And second, that means it is an action that you actually take. In 1 John 3, 18, he says, children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It is the practical outworking of what you do with your beliefs into the feet of your life for the people around you. Like I said, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it is not really just about you. It is about those that you are around. Here's why. It's because actions without truth is being sentimental and truth without love is cold. We need both. So, what does this mean about you and God and other people? This is what it means. If love, if love is seeking the best for other people, and it is, and you're not loving other people, then you're not seeking to give God's best for them, which is what God wants for them from you. Here's what love looks like. Look at Romans 12, verses nine through 18 and verse 21. Notice the characteristics. If you wanna know that you're a genuinely loving person, ask this, is this me? Just, is this me? Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And do not be conquered by evil, but you conquer evil with good. And we say this this morning, is that me? And we ask that question because Paul is basically giving us a list of descriptions of what it means to be a genuinely Holy Spirit-filled, loving person. And that when people encounter you, even they would say, that's him or that's her. This is when you know that you're living in the spirit of God. Or even 1 John 4, verses 8 and 16, he says, the one who does not love God doesn't know God because God is love. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. If you walk away from God, you are walking away from love. Think about it. Love isn't just what God does, it's who God is. So to say on the one hand, a person is loveless and a Christian won't work. But also your intimacy with God is often shaped by how you handle other people. Think about that. I wanna be very honest with you this morning. If someone were ever to show disrespect, dishonor, evil intentions toward one of my daughters, you and I are not gonna have a close relationship. <laughs> are you getting it yet? Because of how I love them, because of how I honor them, because of how I care for them, because of what they mean to me, if someone wants to do harm to them, then you have kind of stepped away in terms of our relationship with each other. You have stepped away from the way that that relationship is supposed to be. And what you'll experience from me is you're going to experience a right kind of anger and frustration. You're going to see that I don't trust you. You're going to see that the things that I care about, the very most you didn't care about, and so I don't trust you. Is this starting to click a little bit? This is what John is talking about in 1 John, is that when you walk in God, you walk in love. When you walk away from God, you walk away from love. And the result of that is this in your relationships. And so if you refuse to love, you're not even gonna feel God's love anymore. And you know why? It's because you walked away from it. You walked away from it. Of course you don't feel what you're not near. But as you walk back into it, in time, you start to feel that being restored. So if we love one another, God, here's what he says, abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Tim Keller said something I thought was just brilliant and I wanted to share it with you this morning and it's how I close. He said, the only love that won't disappoint you is one that can't change, that can't be lost. That's not based on the ups and downs of life or how well you live. It's something that not even death can take away from you. And God's love is the only thing like that. And he's absolutely right. And that's why this morning, I'm reminding you of something that is old and very true. This is why 
you need God in your life is because we all need that kind of loving stability for us. Look, I'll say this as a husband, I've had hits and misses. Dancing at Ed Sheeran, that was a hit. (laughs) I've got my misses. As a father, I've had my hits and misses. This is why Tim Keller says what he says. There is only one that loves you like this and you need him. There is only one that said, I will look at the cross and I will die for them. And that was Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.